taking our dogs out into the world to see and hear new things. So socialization starts happening at your home really early, but fairly quickly your dog has experienced all the stuff around your home. They're comfortable there. This is their place. They know it. They know what it smells like. They know what it looks like. They know what it sounds like. All those things. So our goal in early socialization frequently is to get your dog out so they have new experiences. So they see things that they haven't seen before, they go places they haven't been before, and they continue to gain confidence if we do that correctly. So the more of that stuff they see, the closer they get to uh, what we call generalization, where they go, oh yeah, new places are all fine. Loud noises are nothing, no big deal. All these other things. Um, and so what we're, what, when I think about socialization, it's the planned introduction of new experiences to your dog. And so that happens as a consequence of just living. And it happens as a consequence of us planning our training sessions in different places. So we can take the dog out and take him to different spots and let him see new things, hear new things, and teach them also some things about training in those environments, like that you can pay attention to me in a new environment. You can pay attention to me if there's another dog or more people around. Um, we work sometimes indoors. We work sometimes outdoors. We work, you know, we have a variety of different things, right? So like, I just made up a list of um, what I would consider kind of core guidelines to keep in mind. So instead of trying to say, hey, go out for five minutes on day one and do this, and go out for ten minutes on day two and do this kind of thing, I wanted to give you, because everybody's schedule is going to be different, um, every puppy is going to be different. You know? So the kind of bolder, um, genetically stronger puppies need less uh, exposure to new things. Uh, because they're going to be okay with them, right? It allows you to not have to focus so much on that. The kind of more naturally timid or uh, uh, less confident puppy uh, will need more of it um, and can frequently be made much better by that, but they'll need more of it and you'll need to pay attention to that. So if my dog shows signs of discomfort in, in new environments or shows a sensitivity to loud noises or something, then I need to have a, a, a kind of more comprehensive plan. But um, so... Uh, giving a socialization schedule uh, is going to be not so beneficial, but giving some guidelines that you keep in mind when you're interacting. And I would say when you have a puppy, you should be doing something with that puppy every day. You should be, and try to go pl new places as many times a week as you can, all those sorts of things. That will all be beneficial to you, right, uh, you know, in general. Now you, more is almost always better with socialization, right, in terms of getting the dog out and experiencing the world. Thing. So if I have an outgoing dog... Um, that outgoing dog I know is not afraid of the new person. And you get up close and they want to say hi to the new person, right? And so meeting new people for the outgoing dog is a form of socialization. And that's what I would call like direct interaction between the dog and the new thing in the environment, which in this case happens to be a person or another dog or a fire hydrant or whatever, right? So the dog, the more comfortable my dog is, the more I can let them directly interact. But we need to make sure we keep in mind that we balance that. Um, have a dog that I can't keep paying attention to me. Like the dog just wants to really flaky, won't concentrate, that thing. Then I don't let it go say hi to every new person because that's going to make it more difficult, right? It's going to say, hey, new people around, I get to go get pet by this new person. Oh, look, there's another one, I get to go get pet by them. And it makes their kind of uh, attention on me or the engagement more difficult to keep. So what the first line talks about is if you have those problems, so we, we usually think of it in terms of fearful dogs, right? We usually think of it in terms of nervous dogs. The dog approaches something that makes them uncomfortable. Don't have them directly interact with the thing that's making them uncomfortable. 
because that can make it worse. They can get in close and then that thing scares them even more and then they had a really bad experience. So what we do is get them close or as close as they can stand to the thing and then we give them a bunch of high value rewards. We give them food, toys, whatever. So now they're having a good experience in proximity to something that was making them uncomfortable. That's generally the way we think of it. But we could also do the same thing with a, a confident dog that wants to say hi. We get close and say, no, you pay attention to me in this environment. I engage you, you ignore them, you pay attention to me. And they're learning something about being close to somebody. You don't just get to so go say hi to everybody. So it swings both ways. But generally, the place we're worried about it um, most is with dogs that are unsure. The dog that's unsure about something new, try, in general, not to force them to confront the thing that's making them uncomfortable, work around it, at a threshold distance where they can concentrate and take rewards and give them a lot of rewards in proximity to the thing that was making them uncomfortable. And then gradually, it's, class, it's counter conditioning, right? Gradually they start to think, hey, new person means I get a lot of food, I like new people now. And before they were making me uneasy, now they make me feel all happy and warm inside, right? So you, if, if you have uh, a very exuberant uh, greeter <laughs> in a dog, right, then that's, a tr that's a totally a training thing. So you're going to install another behavior that uh, the dog has to do in order to get attention from any new person. And uh, they don't get pet, they don't get fed, they don't get anything unless they sit or do something that's incompatible with jumping up. And then you just teach the dog, you have the dog on a line. If somebody wants to say hi, the dog tries to jump, you stop the dog and say, nope, sit. And the dog has to sit. If they pet the dog, if the dog hops up to try to jump, they step back out of the range, and you build it that way, and then eventually you can layer correction onto that. What you want to avoid, of course, is your dog wanting to go to greet somebody and going to jump up, and you giving them corrections right from the beginning. Right? Again, then we run that risk that we've talked about extensively of superstitious behavior, where the dog was saying, just saying hi, and then bang, they get this unpleasant experience. And now they say, new people approaching, bad news. And if it's a sensitive dog, that dog might actually start to avoid new people or be afraid of them because of that experience. So they didn't associate the correction with jumping up. They associated the correction with the new person approaching, and now they're worried about that person or uh, submissive to the new person or whatever else instead of the, like saying, hey, don't jump. So the more we install another behavior in there that's incompatible with that, the better off you are. Like it's, um, it's just like um, every place else when we talk about installing a behavior before we pressure the dog. Right? So if we've installed a behavior, then whatever pressure we use on the dog will be much more effective because they'll, they're much more likely to associate that pressure with uh, a failure to do the behavior we taught them to do than with something in the environment, which is the classic definition of our superstitious behavior, where the dog has associated some unpleasant experience, in most cases, with something other than what we wanted them to associate that unpleasantness with. Right? So jumping up, we, if I were going to correct my dog for jumping up, I would want the dog to associate that correction with the act of jumping up, not with the new guy in the blue jacket or <laughs> this specific place or whatever else it is. And so we're going to spend, uh, you're, you're always going to spend, as you're, you will always be better off if you spend tr time training a behavior before you're going to install it in an environment and be definitely before you add correction whenever possible. Unless, of course, we've talked briefly about this, it was a place where you want superstitious behavior, right? Where I want the dog to associate that pressure with the thing itself. So I put an electric collar on my dog, he jumps on the counter, as soon as his feet touch the counter, I shock him. He thinks the counter shocked him. That's superstitious behavior that works to our advantage. In most of our uh, 
uh, situations dealing with people or other dogs, superstitious behavior is our enemy. It's a bad thing, right? We mostly, in those places, want the dog to respond to failure to do some obedience command that we asked, not that person or thing or other dog, because that can create problems. Fear, aggression, avoidance, a lot of other problems that we may or may not want, right? And of course, the, more, the less sensitive and kind of more exuberant my dog, the more resilient to that kind of stuff they're going to be, right? So then I crank on the dog and flips over backwards and lands on its head and goes, oh well, whatever, <laughs> and gets up and maybe doesn't jump up again, but, but is still happy to see that person. Fine. So you got away with it that, with that dog, but you might not with another dog in another place. <laughs> if I were raising a service dog for somebody or something, then absolutely that would be a part of it. I would deliberately uh, look for a dog with very high threshold. So, no, no, I mean uh, like a, an assistance dog, yeah. So uh, a guide dog, hearing dog, uh, yeah, those kinds of things. So if I if I had those kind of, uh, that kind of uh, dog, I would search for a dog with very specific traits. So I'd search for an, obviously a very social dog naturally, a dog with really high pain threshold. Right? So if somebody accidentally stepped on him or pinched him or poked him in the eye or whatever that kind of stuff, so you can look for dog, dogs just like people have various varying degrees of pain sensitivity. Yep. Yeah, exactly right. You just look for a dog that uh, that um, that's really really steady and social, and then you do your best to um, kind of make that a part of the training stuff. Meaning, I'm going to make kind of rough handling and bumping into them and all the rest of that stuff and and uh, a part of it, and I'm going to expose them to kids and people of all ages and loud people and quiet people and all that kind of stuff because that's their job to be in that environment. Um, with our uh, protection sport dogs and things like that, that's, that's not a consideration, really. I mean, I don't want them going off on trying to bite everybody that comes near them, but also I don't expect them to be tolerant of um, just anybody coming up and, and grabbing them. And this is uh, kind of just observations over the course of my life with dogs is that the dogs that tend to be the fastest learners, the, uh, what I, I don't know that smartest is the right thing, but the ones that are the nicest to train frequently are the dogs that are a little more reactive and a little more aware. They notice more details. They're more sensitive to the world. And as a result, if you get that kind of dog with a lot of motivation, you can really train them. They see every little detail because they're a little bit reactive. They're not like super confident dogs. They have a little bit of insecurity, and that little bit of insecurity makes them pay attention to things, right? If my dog isn't worried about anything, then he just kind of cruises through life like, I don't care if there's a noise over there. I don't care if that person's staring at me. That doesn't, I don't even need to notice it because they're not in a, a little bit of unsureness, like too much becomes paralyzing, but a little bit of unsureness makes the dogs aware of their environment. So in training, when we start training those dogs that are a little bit unsure but highly motivated, watch everything you do because they're paying attention to their environment. So they see me lift my eyebrow. They see me turn my head a little bit. They see me do these little things, which makes, as a trainer's dog, awesome, great. But it comes with some degree of sensitivity. And as a result, those dogs can uh, have bad reactions to people doing silly things in everyday life. So they're much more likely to have problems with somebody coming up really fast and grabbing them by the head or somebody stepping on their foot or something like, like that. To me, to me, the best trainer's dog um, it can be the average person's worst nightmare, right? So the, the, the truth of the matter is that, uh, like one, 
and I'll, I'll use my breed as an example because there's a reason that I like them. Um, but the Malinois is a high-strung, mot highly motivated, reactive dog um, as a breed, right? Um, you're going to get individuals that are all over the place within that breed, but as a breed, if you compare them, if you use the baselines to be between Labradors and German Shepherds, and, and then you would see quite a bit of difference on that, on that front. And uh, that kind of dog I call a trainer's dog, because if you're detail-oriented and you like teaching things, and you like paying attention to those little details, those dogs eat that stuff up, and they learn really fast, and they're highly motivated, and so you can do a lot of cool stuff with them as a trainer. Um, it's kind of sky's the limit and on, on what you can do with them if you want. Um, the problem with it is, is they learn uh, things really quickly and they're reactive. So if you're not paying attention, they're going to be reacting to all the wrong things. They're going to be getting obsessed with the wrong things. They're going to get, and then they can be like somebody off the streets, pet dogs, worst possible nightmare. They're like, God, I got to pay attention to this dog every second, you know? Like I do this, or he noticed that little tiny thing, and now he wants to chase birds all day, or whatever the heck it is, right? So, so for certain, the kind of dog that I like as a trainer is not necessarily uh, a good pet dog, and definitely not the best dog to try to make uh, uh, bomb-proof in social situations. You can make all kinds of incredible connections, and there are certain parts of their uh, abilities that can be tapped into when they're young that are very difficult to tap into later. And if you do certain things at the right time, uh, it can really, really help your future success. Uh, so I'm kind of a fanatic about good early puppy work and them having the right sorts of experiences. Uh, and Lindsay and her puppy are a perfect example of that. You'll see us. That's nice.
Kind of makes you yeah. smile, Jamie. Kind of puts a smile on your face, huh?